Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. This is Adam. And this is Steve. And we're going to give our hot takes on the game that we just finished playing, Trekking the World. Before we provide a description of the game, remember you can join in the conversation if you follow us on Twitter at BG underscore hot takes or on Facebook at Board Game Hot Takes for the latest conversations about the games we're playing. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show to help more people find the show. Now let's jump in to a description of the game. Trekking the World is a globe-spanning game of competitive souvenir collecting and sightseeing for two to five players. In this game, a player, acting as a world traveler, must first decide which location to visit by discarding cards whose face value sums to the distance they would like to travel. Once at a location, the traveler received the souvenir cube that was randomly placed at the location during game setup, if it's still available. Souvenirs are placed in the traveler's personal suitcase for in-game set collection scoring. Next, the traveler must choose one of three options. Draw two cards, go on a journey, or take a tour. A card draw is usually taken if no other options are available. To embark on a journey, players discard two or three cards of the same suit and may take one of two variable actions determined during game setup. A player may take the third option, going on a tour, if they have cards of matching suits and are in the matching location of one of four tour cards available. The traveler discards their matching cards and receives a tour card which provide precious points. Then a new tour card is revealed. The game ends when one of two conditions occur. Either a player has taken five tours or the souvenirs from five of the six continents sorry Antarctica, have all been removed. The player with the most points wins the game. All right, thanks Adam. So let's talk about the gameplay and mechanisms to start of Trekking the World. This was a little bit of a lighter game than we have typically been playing and reviewing. But some kind of unique things going on here. Steve, why don't you start us off? Anything that stood out to you from a mechanism perspective? I thought there were a couple of interesting mechanisms. Probably the the most, the one that I guess I enjoyed the most were the journey cards that changed every game, your superpowers, if you will. Just being, you know, having a new element of the game to manipulate every time you play, I think is interesting. Even though I didn't take advantage of the journey cards as well this game as the first game, they were still interesting. Yeah, they, they, so those are the cards where basically every game there's two cards set up that you can discard two cards of the same color and they give you some benefit. Um, and the, we played two games in a row here. We played a three-player game and a four-player game. In this last game that we played, one of the cards let you discard two cards at the end of your turn to um, immediately jump to another airport and draw two more cards, and then but randomly off the top of the deck. And then the other one let you discard two cards of the same color and do a journey for one less, basically for and one less. And move to an airport. No, that, I, that was what the first one did. But in any case... Um, they um, did it. What did both of them move to an airport? I don't no, think so. one of them was move four spaces and draw two cards. That's what it is. And okay. one was uh, play a, a journey card track for uh, one less yeah. and move to an airport. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it makes sense. So, so yeah, that was kind of cool. I mean, it changes every time, so there's a little bit of change in in what the general abilities that everybody can use are. Uh, what about you, Adam? Any any uh, particular mechanisms that stood out to you here? 
just before I go into that, just to add on to those journey cards in the, um, I don't know if it's a Kickstarter exclusive or an expansion that's available. They kind of have even more super powered ones. So these ones in the game today, you're playing two cards of the same suit and you get to do the, the superpower. The supercharged ones, you play three cards of the same suit and some of them are like only once per game. You get to use it and you get to do a whole bunch of stuff by playing those three cards of one suit. And that was kind of a theme in the game was, you know, sets of cards, whether it be two or three, are worth a little bit more just because of the kind of the card economy for paying for different stops. A specific mechanism I like is, it's so simple, but just the blocking mechanism. So the first game we played at three players, and the next game we played at four players. And there was a little bit of blocking in that three-player game, but not much. But in four players, the map just got so much tighter, and you're able to kind of block people in. So you know, one person's traveler can't move through another person's traveler. So you can pin somebody in there if you knew what you're doing and try to, you know, prevent them from getting, um, from ending the game. Like if they're up ahead, you can kind of block them out and prevent them from getting another destination card. So I thought just that simple mechanic of just being able to block somebody is, is just so nice and, uh, you know, mean. Adam, I, I noticed you really like to take advantage of that today because that seemed to be your primary goal. Like points, not important, blocking other people. That was a heavy focus of your game. How did that work out for you tonight? Well, while the scoreboard might have had me <laughs> in dead last place, in my heart, I won because I blocked everybody out of everything. The temple destination never got picked up the entire game because he was sitting on it most of the game. So The funny, I was literally going to get it on the last turn and then that game ended right after you took that last uh, that last continent you know, bonus or whatever. So <laughs> I was trying to working on some things. For future <laughs> yeah. plays. I just learned, yeah. I just went a few steps deeper than you guys could actually see. So future <laughs> plays, you'll, you'll see some fireworks. Well, there definitely was an opportunity for some player interaction here. Um, and that you could, because of the fact that people can't move in a space that you're on or can't move past the space you're on, if you can kind of see, and it, it's obvious where, People are probably trying to head because the um, destination cards uh, or tour cards. What are those called? What are the the four cards up in the tours? I think take a tour. Take a tour. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the tour cards are visible, and if you're kind of close to one, people probably know what you're going to go to. They don't know what cards you have in your hand, but this is a good shot at it. So it was really easy to kind of just jump in and say like, "Oh, I know he's going there. I'm going to go in and, and step on it, or you know, get in the way so they can't get to it." So a lot of player interaction. This game felt to me, there are two games that I had in mind as I was reading the rules and as we played through it, that it's probably most reminiscent to me. One was Ticket to Ride. Uh, I know, Steve, you played Ticket to Ride. Adam, have you ever played Ticket to Ride? Yep. Yeah, okay. So it it, it had, um, you know, a little bit of similarity in that there's kind of like, you know, a tactical, okay, I drew these cards. This is where I'm trying to get to. If I can draw the right cards to match up to it, I can get there little bit of that. And then Thurn and Taxis was the other one that it felt a little reminiscent, but I've only played that one once. So I don't know if I, I may be way off there. As a comparison to Ticket to Ride, this was a, a much more interesting game to me, even though it did have some similar, a little bit of that, like draw cards to try to get the things that I need to do to do my actions and move around a map. You know, it, it, it had a similar weight, similar feel. Um, this one I would, I would play any time over Ticket to Ride. There's a couple reasons for that. But the one mechanism I want to start with is I like that there was multiple different scoring tools in the game. So obviously you can go and, you know, if you can get to a tour, if you can land on a tour spot and fulfill that order, if you have the the, the card icons that you need to, to do that tour, that's where most of the points were. And that was fun. And, and it was also kind of neat there that 
the cards on the far right gave you some extra bonuses. So those were a little more valuable, and then they kind of moved down the river so that the cards always kind of added that increasing value. So that was the first of the scoring mechanisms, and I have a couple others I want to chat about here, but what did you guys think of the tour mechanism and, and you know how that worked? I found it very reminiscent to Century Spice Road, mm. how you know in advance what's going to give you the big the gold coin and the silver coin bonuses, or in this case, the five and the three victory point bonuses, how there's four of them and how they move to the right. So I, I thought that was very familiar and not unpleasant at all. I think that's one of my favorite things about this game is like most of the time you get to do something pleasant, right? You get to either pick up some cubes that help you get your color bonus or you get to complete a victory or at the very least you get to get two cards and hopefully they're they match something so or at the very very least you get to just block somebody yeah, that's, and not right. Do anything that's else. right that's right if you can't do anything else block somebody there you go you just get in the way <laughs> yeah. that's all you need to do yep. yeah i've forgotten that century spice road had that same mechanism i only played it once several years back oh. but that's that yeah. that's right i do i do remember that it's now. a good game that's that's kind of fun I've heard that comparison before with other reviewers. Yeah, so they've, they've talked about... I've never played the game, oh. but I have heard that comparison well, before. That's going to have to be on our upcoming list for sure if you've never played Century <laughs> Spice Road. Okay. On a tangent here, I don't, I don't know if you know this, Steve, but you know Century Spice Road, there was actually a series of three games. I think it was Century Spice Road, Eastern Wonders, and then A New World or something like that. But there are three separate little Euro games that are all about the same weight as Spice Road. But then you can combine them all together and make one big massive game that takes mechanisms and components from all three games and, and just works together. So I'm very, very intrigued at some point to try that out just as a whole set and see if that whole, uh, I don't know, what you experiment you know, worked out and paid off. That'd be kind of fun to do sometime. I haven't played the other two. Going back untangenting and going back to the tour cards, aside from them being incredibly beautiful, which we'll talk about later, I like that mechanic. I like it. Just it is like Steve said, just kind of a very pleasant. You're collecting these different colored suits of cards, trying to make it to that destination, and taking a. I guess they're called the tour cards, and taking a tour of those cards. And you nailed it too, Steve, when you you said you know even if you don't have the fortune to be able to block some people right away, <laughs> you can always pick pick up a cube or try to get the last cube on a continent, and that gives you the kind of uh, hidden info points. But there's always something you can do to try to get yourself some points. So what do you guys think of the, the cube column mechanic and the cube? I guess there's a row mechanic and a column mechanic, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of mm -hmm. neat too. You can kind of get majority of colors and you get points that way for a little, um, you know, kind of hot potato thing. If you have the most cubes of one color, you get the little scoring bonus. Or you can do the, a cube of each color in a column and you get, I think it's like 5, 10. It works its way up. So if you get more columns blocked out, you get more points. I enjoyed both yeah, of those right. column and row cube collection things very much yeah as far as uh the, one of the scoring mechanisms that was my favorite in the game and we'll talk about this when we talk about the production but those cubes are actually supposed to be souvenirs so you're, you're collecting different types of souvenirs that's what the different colors represent and i like two things about it one it had the you know dune imperium recently came out with the alliance tracks and if you get to the one spot on the alliance track early, then you you know you build the alliance, you get the victory point, but then someone cannot come up and steal that away from you. And so the mechanism was the same here that if you have the most of one color 
um, above two, then you're going to get that bonus scoring card. But then if somebody else can get past you on that track, they get the scoring card from you. And I thought that added another little layer of player interaction and fun and something you had to watch for with the way those cubes scored. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I mean, I'm just going to say like the, the concept of having to have one more than all the other players of a certain category, that is an element of Ticket to Ride. You know, it is an element of Carcassonne. So, I mean, those aren't unique elements, but I did like how they cross, how they interacted in sort of in that cross section. What's the, uh, what's the Lincoln ticket to ride? I don't remember, uh, you know, relationship. Depends on which expansion you're playing, okay. but, uh, longest road, world globe trotter, like visited the most cities. It's, it, there's all, it depends on the expansion. That's right. Yeah. And that's not something that, um, you just, the first person doesn't get to keep it. It's whoever has the longest at the end of the game that, that basically right. gets So it here. flops around, you know, like the, it's the last person to have gotten the most of that category. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, but I like how you kind of have to focus in this game on, you know, one section, you know, the bottom right corner. Do you want to go for or bottom left corner, you know, you don't want to go for one row and one column, or do you want to try to go for two columns or two rows? Because you can't do everything, so you have to kind of decide. Yeah, and I, I really like, too, the the column, mechan- you know, the column scoring there where, yeah, obviously, like, you know, we we're talking about trying to get the most of a color, but also if you, you are going to get bonuses just for having, you know, full columns of the things. And that actually reminded me, Adam, a little bit of, we just played Curious Cargo a couple of weeks ago, where if you can get to a certain point and fill rows and columns, you know, you get extra points for it. And that's fun. Yep. You know, that's a fun little tool. And the, the cool thing is, like you mentioned, is that when you're moving around the board, even if you don't get to fill an order that turn, you still get to pick up one of those cubes. So there's still a little bit of a, hey, I at least accomplished something before I just draw extra cards, which I think is my biggest complaint about the comparison I made with Ticket the Ride in that Ticket the Ride, on your turn, you're either spending trains to fill in, you know, to basically make a route or you're just drawing cards and the drawing card turns are just so boring, you know, and and this one, at least you're doing something else when you have to take that in between fulfilling order turn. And I like that. All right. Any other mechanisms that you guys want to mention here? I think we covered them all. There's really, I mean, there's really not that many, right? There's uh, you take a tour, you get some cubes, you go rows, you go columns, or there's the little map, uh, the map thing. I guess we haven't talked about the in-game triggers. So, uh, in this game, there's they only do six of the continents. They don't do Antarctica. So once you the cubes are all removed from five out of the six continents, that's an in-game trigger. Or once the first person has completed five tours. So mm-hmm. that's nice. It keeps the game snappy and moving along quick. And that that second game, it snuck up on us. Sarah, I think Sarah, or was it Steve, grabbed the last cube out of Africa. I don't think any of us realized like that was the fifth out of six one and boop game's over. Yeah, good thing we were playing on board game arena. It told us when the game was over. <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> we probably would have missed it. <laughs> um, yeah, that was interesting, and and I think it's worth calling out the scaling on this game. So we played a three game, three player game, and a four player game. Um, Adam, just you know, from your experience, you played some two player games, right? Honest opinion, how did that compare? Did you feel like it was still a good experience at two? Because you've talked highly of the game, and even after you just played it, those player cons. Yeah, at two, I still loved it. Um, so there's so much more we'll get into aside from the gameplay itself. The production is amazing. But circling back to the gameplay, at two, it's nice too. It's still kind of a, it's a lot more wide open. There are less cubes, but it's still, you can, you can predict directly what the other person is going to try to do. And there are some key points on the map where you can block 
the route that that person is trying to get to, like into Africa, for instance, and you can force them to go to an airport or go the long way around. So you can do some things to players uh, to kind of fence things off, and that the interaction there is still really nice. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I would say I think I probably enjoyed the three-player game a little bit more than the four-player, and I was surprised by that. And the main reason was just that I did feel like we got the chance to do a little bit more. There was still a little bit of blocking, a lot less, obviously, but it did feel like you could be a little more productive in the game and and accomplish a little bit more. In the four-player game, it almost felt like it was it was very, very... You couldn't really plan out a strategy because anytime you collected the resources in order to go over to a place, unless you were the only person on one side of the board where everyone else was somewhere else, there's a good chance someone's just going to get in your way. Even if they couldn't buy the thing, they're just going to block you out from it. it. It didn't make the game bad. It just felt a little bit less... I've got some control over what I'm doing in this game and, and a little bit of strategy. So I could imagine that a five-player game would be very much... I mean, it would be interesting, I guess, but it would probably be... I, I can't imagine a five-player game ending with someone getting four of the uh, tours, right? I mean, I, I just don't see how someone would pull that off in a five-player. Oh, it, is it? it's five tours? Let alone five tours, yeah. Oh, it takes five. Okay. So I don't know that I'd like a five-player game as much. It'd still be a fun little experience, and it goes quickly. You know, it's a quick play... Still a fun little experience, a little bit more, uh, you know, struggling for the the cube counts and maybe you can get one or two quests, but you're just not going to get a whole lot of actually getting something done, I could imagine, in a five-player game. So, yeah, I thought three three players was a good sweet spot. Four was still okay, you know, it was still fun, but um, I think three was probably a little bit better for me. I kind of want to see five at least once just to see the kind of dogfight. I think you're right, Tim, the scoring would have to shift towards cube collection or seizing that opportunity because it'd be pretty tough to get a uh, a tour i imagine yeah yeah i wonder like the is the one person that gets two tours just going to be the one that runs away with it It'd be interesting to know uh sarah won that last game what did she end up did she end up filling three tours? did she have more tours than us or did she just get a couple other bonuses in some other ways do you guys remember what the how she pulled off that win it was i think it was just a combination of everything okay i think she just had three tours she probably picked up one or two that were that had the bonuses mm. she had one or two of the continent bonuses yeah two she had um i think one row bonus and maybe two columns filled so it was just a mixture of everything i think yeah okay cool all right well let's talk about the production on this game i want to jump in with one thing that is just so unnecessary but such a great touch and that is that with the tour cards there's always four showing and then you can always see what the fifth one is because the backs of the cards have the name of the tour on it even though it doesn't show you what the value of it but you know what where what continent it's going to be in does it show the i don't think it shows the the cost does it when it's turned over does it no, no so it the doesn't. cost is hidden so you know where it's going to be but you don't know what it's going to cost but more importantly is that when you're looking at that face down card that's on top of the deck it gives you a little background, a little history on that location, on that one uh, monument. And I just love that little extra touch that they totally didn't need to do, but it actually gave you a little bit of flavor to learn something. You know, just playing the game, you're learning something and you're, you're getting to feel like you're exploring the world a little bit. And that, that was just a great little touch to me. And I think that's one of the missions of this production company is to provide an educational experience. So uh, Steve has trekking the national parks too i believe and i believe there's something similar on the back of each card it gives a little background and history and maybe when it was founded and how it all came about so this you're right tim i love that little part of this game just the the history and a little info about the spot that many of these spots i 
I didn't even know about. So yeah. it's just kind of a, a nice discovery for me. I would have to say with some replay value, though, I wish they would have added the costs to the backside because an experienced player would have a pretty significant advantage over a novice player in that scenario, uh, which seems unnecessary. It's not hidden information, so you could Google it. You know, like. <laughs> Until we started talking about that, I, like right as we started talking about that, I actually thought the exact same thing, Steve. I was just thinking like, yeah, if, if someone played it quite a bit, they know that, okay, yeah, the Grand Canyon is going to be these, you know, two color resources and one other color resource. And it's a, you know, decent value. I better start collecting up for that. So that is a, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Nice catch, you guys. Really good. <laughs> uh, Steve, any other uh, points on the production you wanted to call out? Hmm. No, I mean, I, I liked the map. It was pretty easy to tell what was going on. It was pretty easy to tell where the connection lines were, like between the South Pacific and the West Coast. So that was nice. I don't know. I know it's a printing costing issue, but I really wish they'd stop, people would stop using the same color cubes as the backgrounds. So the yellow continent is exactly the same color as the yellow cubes, which makes it really hard, at least in the online version, to see the yellow cubes on the yellow continents and the red cubes on the red continents. I don't know. Uh, just every game is like that. And I know it's a print, part of it's a printing cost thing. No, yeah, that's a good point, Steve, because I actually did notice that. In fact, the one there was one of the, the red cube on Tanzania or something like that. Like there was a cube out on Africa mm-hmm. that I just didn't even realize was there because mm-hmm. it was the exact same colors of space. So. Yeah, that happened to me in the first game with one of the yellow cubes. So I was kind of annoyed, but it's pretty common. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And wasn't there, were you guys having trouble deciphering some of the icons too on the cards? Yeah. Okay. So this was a this was probably just playing on board game arena on a laptop screen, most likely. But yes, when we were trying to fill orders, both Steve and I mistakenly looked at the green icon and thought it was blue. And they are a different shape, but because they're so small down on the on the screen, I think it'd be really easy in part because these are are these like tarot size cards or are these normal playing size cards? Yeah. So I have the actual production, and they're tarot size cards, and they're huge and gorgeous and linen finish and the artwork on them is amazing yeah so i've never had a problem in in real life but i think it's important to note especially with the you know the rise in popularity of online games and you know during covid and who knows what else future stuff's going to happen but it's it's important to note little details like that for sure yeah this is probably an area and i I don't this actually my first play on board game arena and props to board game arena was a nice little interface and it, it ran smoothly and everything um but the, the this this was a place where they probably could have oversized the icons, you know, without taking up more space for the cards, but they could have popped up the size of the icons on the cards to make them more readable up in the corner. I don't know. That's a fairly easy thing to do in a digital space. Otherwise, I think in I think playing the you know the real production, as Adam mentioned, not a problem, not going to be a problem here. So, so I'm going to take a second to rave about the actual production of this game. I bought it kind of on Kickstarter. I thought it was just like it looked pretty cute. I like the idea of traveling the world since that's something i do and that's always been kind of romanticized in my head is just going to all these different locations the kickstarter came in i was like all right ho-hum i open it up there's a there's a game trays insert to organize all the different tokens all the cards so you pop that out and the map the map is gorgeous you were talking about it, tim it has all these little regional details like uh, the animals of each different region are on there and kind of some of the fauna and the flora are on that map the cards are I guess the real star is kind of the the tour cards. 
I don't want to get the terms wrong, but the I guess the cards you're using to pay for travel or for taking a tour, nothing too special there. They're just a color and a number for the most part. But it, for such a just a reasonably priced game, the stuff that comes in there and the production and the game trays, you get so much and it's so organized and it's it's beautiful. I really like the map, but I feel I feel bad that I think I missed out. I don't actually think I even noticed the art on the tour cards at all. Uh, most likely because they were so tiny, you know, on the screen. And I think that's unfortunate because I bet they are beautiful. And now that you're mentioning that, I wish I'd been paying more attention because I, I can't even, like, I don't think I actually noticed a single picture on those cards. I think they're up there on a level with, with parks, not quite as beautiful as parks because those take up the full card and it's just mm-hmm. like a, a little miniature painting in your face every time. This has a little bit for the icons, and I guess Parks has that too. So it's it's very similar on a on a similar level as Parks. I think the art is for these cars. Very nice. Nice. I got one little quibble here, and I I, I make sense why they did it. And this actually kind of circles back. We had a conversation about Godspeed last week, and Adam, and Chris was talking about how we thought that the fact that they use little cardboard chits for the resource tokens was a letdown compared to his upgraded resources that he got on the Kickstarter. And I was trying to think of why those cardboard resources weren't bothering me. And I think the reason why I think they're actually fine in Godspeed was because they're at least nicely illustrated. You know, they're, they're not just a cube, a colored cube. And that is the one thing from a theme perspective here that I felt just didn't link in at all, right? I mean, you were talking about in the mechanisms, hey, how, how do you like filling up those rows and columns of cubes? But they were actually supposed to be representing different types of souvenirs, and with that, unless you read the rules, you would have no idea that they're supposed to be souvenirs. And it would have been so, I think it would have been really easy to make little, you know, little cubes that were shaped or had some indication of what the souvenirs were. I know there's a cost to that. And I know it also probably made it more functional to be able to put those cubes out on the board and they fill in the little squares and then they, you move them to your board and they fill in the squares. But man, if those were little souvenirs, I would have had so much more fun saying like, hey, I just picked up this postcard or I just picked up this you know, this other thing instead of I just picked up this blue cube or this yellow cube. And so that from a, I was just trying to figure out my own feelings on why, you know, some some resources, or, you know, some components in a game don't bother me as much when they're not necessarily a higher quality component. Sometimes I think it's just represent that component in a, in a way that actually makes it feel thematic and makes, you know, pulls me into the game. And, and tracking, unfortunately, didn't do that with the souvenirs. Um, so that's my one little quibble on the production. But otherwise, from what I could see, I, it was exceptional. It was really nice. Sometimes I get confused on which components you like and which ones you don't also, Tim. <laughs> but I think you make you make a really good point here that it would be so nice if the if they weren't just cubes, you're right, and they were just they were supposed to be a little, you know, a trinket, um, like a little miniature Eiffel Tower yeah, yeah. or a postcard, like you're saying. And I think they, I don't even remember thematically what they're supposed to be, you know, most of this type of, you know, is it a little spoon? Is it a little postcard? Is it a little, I don't forget what it's, you know, all the, but they do all have specific genres that they're supposed to be. And after playing twice, I have no clue because they're just cubes to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Any other thoughts on the components? Is this where we talk about iconography usually for the production? Well, sure we can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't have anything specific to call out there, but jump in. I, I was going to say, I thought it's clean. Um, we jumped right into it and there was, you know, aside from, you know, whoops, I picked the wrong color because I couldn't quite tell what it was on the mm-hmm. on the uh, the BG, the board game arena card there. It's just a clean game iconography-wise and board-wise. And, well, the cards, I don't know, they're just bright colors, the ones that you use to pay for the, the tours. Those ones, I don't know, I think they could have done a little more. They're a little disappointing, kind of like Uno cards, but 
but everything else, it's super clean, super functional. So I just want to add that in there. Yeah. And the game was <clears throat> so easy to, to, to learn. You know, I hadn't played it before tonight. I jumped in and watched Rodney's 15-minute Watch It Played video, Rodney Smith's video. And I knew exactly how to play. And I just, you know, I asked a couple of questions just because while I was watching his video, I was distracted with something else. So, you know, I missed a couple little rules things. But it was so easy to learn, so easy to teach. This is a, a game that you could get on the table and be playing in five minutes, uh, and that's that's uh, that's got a lot. That says a lot, actually, to be honest. Like uh, as a pro for for this game, that it was a fun experience, but also you could teach anybody to play it, and you'd be up and playing in just a few minutes. Um, and so I like that. I think that's that's a definitely a big positive there. I agree. I'm just gonna agree with you and give props to how understandable the rules and the game are. I half watched that same video. Mm. He kind of skimmed through it, it seemed even. I guess there just wasn't that many rules to go over. And other than a few clarifications, I felt really comfortable going into this uh, without a teach. So, Yeah, and I'm actually, now that you brought that up, Adam, as far as iconography, one thing I actually wanted to say is that every time I did have a question, Adam says, oh, just go look on the board. It shows you right there. It shows you what the end game triggers are. It shows you what actions you can take. And I love that. I, I've mentioned that in a previous episode, but when you can put something on the board that just tells people what you need to know, we never had to open the rule book. And I think even if you didn't already know the game and we just needed to, you know, to learn it tonight, I think that we could have referenced the board in every situation and would have known what to do. So super clean rule set and, and super well represented so that there wasn't any confusion here. So really like that. That was great. All right. Well, let's jump into our um, gameplay experience tonight. And Steve, why don't we start with you? What uh, any moments that you felt were memorable? Actually, a lot. It seems like every third turn, something memorable kind of happens, right? Like you spend all this time collecting, not all these time, you spend one and a half turns collecting cards to hope to pick up one of the two bonuses that you might be in range of reaching. And either it goes amazingly and you end up picking up two cubes that you needed and maybe two tours or at least one tour and some cards for your next tour that you're going to pick up and you're just living high or somebody blocks you one turn and the next turn they take the the tour that you were saving up for and you're just totally crushed so it's just a lot of ups and downs but I had a great time even when I was blocked or have my tour stolen so <laughs> I enjoyed it the game is super tactical, so you you really can't count on planning long term in the game. It's all just like, what can I do this turn to optimize what I'm doing? My um, the most memory memorable part of the game for me was I wasn't even involved in it, but when we started the second game, I think three of the four tours were in were in Australia, and nobody had started there at that airport. So immediately, Steve's the first player, and he jumps down to Australia and starts walking around over there. I don't know how it happened, but at some point. Adam, Steve, Sarah are all in Australia. There's two tours sitting down there for like six turns. And Adam manages to block off Steve and Sarah from getting into Australia. They're like blocked off right in India. They can't get there at all. I'm just walking around South America just doing my thing. And Steve and Sarah are just like going back and forth going like, when is Adam going to move? And Adam's not picking up anything. He's not doing anything. He's just sitting there blocking the space. 
That was, it, it cracked me up. It was so funny. Like, at the end of the game, one of the starting tours was still sitting there in Australia that nobody managed to pick up when you guys were all sitting there for, like, four turns. So, uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> it was an interesting strategy, uh, Adam, um, but definitely made some memorable moments. I, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I was doing. It was fun. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, like, I like how Steve describes it. It is I'm going to take both, what both of you guys said. It is very tactical, and every two or three turns, there's something that's awesome. Either you you pick up some cubes, fill in a column, and you get a tour, and you're like, heck yeah, I just did that right. That was amazing. Or you're blocking somebody out and just hanging out in Myanmar, just chilling, looking at some temples, but not having the cards to take a tour of them. So you're kind of on the outskirts listening into the tour guide, kind of catching a, hear, you know, a word or two there. It's it's just a, a fun game, and... um. I don't know. I had a big smile on the face on my face the whole time I was playing it. So yeah, nice. All right. Well, so would you guys request to play the game again, Adam? Why don't you start? Absolutely. I love this game, so I would totally request to play it again. And the fact that we played two games in an hour and a half, or two maybe two hours, just under. This is the kind of game I'm looking for. That's light rules overhead. There's some tactical. There's some nice sharp decisions. A little bit of bite to it, where you can block and be a little bit mean. So when you guys answer this question, I want I want to hear your take on what you think rules overhead and gameplay you know is the is the juice worth the squeeze there's a lot of more complex games that have a a deeper rule set but is what you get out of it worth it for learning that rule set so as you answer this question i want to hear you guys take on that too all right steve what about you yes i would definitely request to play this game again um, partially because I would like to play three and four players again to see if my experience was kind of a random effect of the cluster of tour cards for those particular games. Yeah. Or if the routes really are that tight with four players. I think it's a question for me, and I'd like to explore that a little bit more. As far as bang for your buck as rules go, um, I think it's honestly it's amazing. It's got one of the most streamlined rule sets that for this complexity level of game that I've played uh, before. And as much as Pan Am, for instance, is an amazing game, I mean, maybe, maybe almost everything about it is slightly better. It's so much more complex. I enjoyed playing this game more, honestly, even though... Maybe some of the individual elements aren't quite as advanced as some other games. All right, interesting. So I, um, I, as I mentioned, when I came into this, I expected this to be similar to Ticket to Ride just from reading the rules. And one of my least favorite mechanisms in a game is the random drawing for set collection. Ticket to Ride is a common example. Ethnos is another example of a game that seemed to have a lot of promise, but when it comes down to what your actual actions are, that's what you're doing. And I think this this definitely fixed the, my concerns. Like, it, it was more fun than I expected just from reading the rules. I, I mean, it seemed interesting. Like, I liked the scoring, you know, the, the different scoring opportunities, and it kind of met those goals for me. So as a comparison to a sim- similar weight game, I think it was a lot of fun. I definitely enjoyed it more than I would have expected from a game of this way because it's just not my normal thing. And I think to bring, as, as you know, and I'll call it a gateway game and not in a derogatory way, but that's just the term that I know to use for it. And that is that for a game that really you could introduce anybody into quickly, but you could also play with more experienced gamers. I, I think it's a great time and it's a lot of fun because it's that kind of entry weight 
a game that doesn't really give me the experience I'm looking for in a game, typically, um, I probably wouldn't request to play it again. I have a great time playing it, and I think for the space, for the amount of time it fills, it's a great fit for that. If we got 45 minutes, this would probably be a more fun and exciting experience than like Space Base, for example. You know, in the same amount of time, this would probably be, you know, it doesn't have the engine building, but it has more player interaction. So there's kind of a give and take for for the values there for me. So I really enjoyed it. I had a great time with it. Um, it's just not my, you know, kind of weight of game that I'm really looking for. You know, it's probably very comparable to Parks. I would say, Steve, you know, your comparison to Pan Am was a good one. I think I would typically probably pick Pan Am, again, just because that kind of leans towards more my game style of the two. But this one definitely had some fun and, and exciting moments and, you know, I had a great play with it. So be happy to play it again in the future. Just wouldn't be something I'd, I'd uh, you know, be looking to pull out. To add on a little more to that. So I got this off Kickstarter. I thought it would be fun just to get my daughter introduced to a map and traveling the world and seeing these different locations. And then when I actually got into this game and played it, and I was kind of shocked at the amount of gameplay that was actually in there, like pleasantly shocked, you know, always hopeful that a game's going to be good. And then when it surprises you like this, uh, it was it was a, just a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, I think there's a real value to it. And like you said, the rules overhead compared to the, the fun and gameplay you get out of, I think is great. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been, I have a friend um, from years ago who uh, I used to play Magic the Gathering with, like, 10, 15 years ago, and I haven't seen him for a while, but he hit me up recently. He, he heard that we were doing this podcast and he listened to some episodes like, Tim, I'm really excited about the stuff you've been talking about. This is really, this sounds really great to me. Would you like to get on and play a game with me sometime? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. But for somebody who hasn't played a game for 20 years, you know, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to try to just introduce something that's too heavy or something that not having the same kind of similarity and experience that he's going to be able to compete at and have a good time at. And this game probably is the best fit I've found to introduce somebody new to the hobby. It's so tactical. So even an experienced player, obviously you can make some choices, but there's no way that you can guarantee that a a more experienced gamer is going to win this game. You know, anybody could compete in it and win at it. And I think that's a great thing uh, for a game to do. And we're going to be talking in our next episode about what makes games fun. And that's actually one very, very strong variable for me is that it's fun for everybody at the table. And this is a game that I think you could bring anybody into and everybody can have a fun time playing it. And so there's a lot to be said about that. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks guys. I think that'll wrap up our conversation on Trekking the World. We'll talk about some things that we're excited about in the world of gaming right after this. Welcome back. So let's get into some things that we are excited about in board gaming this week. Um, Adam, what do you have anything? What, what, uh, what have you been looking at and thinking about this week? I've been watching Imperium the Contention. We've been talking about it before. It is hitting the shores of Europe and people are getting it in their hands and they're playing it and they're asking questions. And I see on Board Game Geek, Gary's the designer is getting in there answering these questions. And so I'm just excited to get this thing into my hands and play with the components and hopefully get it out and, um, you know, play it with you guys. And I think he's coming out with an instructional video I saw on one of his replies to, to a question out there. And then I want to ask him too, if there there is going to be any kind of online mod that we could play over, you know, over the computer. 
Yeah, that was going to be my question. I was hoping that that would be the case. So definitely, if you if you reach out to him and, and find that out, I'd love to hear it because it'd be fun to try, you know, just try that out online And since we can't get together in person right now. Right, it'd be great. All right, cool. Steve, what about you? Anything interesting? I, I know you, you talked uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to you, you were playing some Wingspan with the Oceana expansion. Uh, but anything else you've been doing? Yeah, I was definitely going to mention that. Um, I've played it again since then. It makes it an even more lovely time than the original. T- talk about that a little bit. You were you were saying that you thought it really actually improved the game and made it more fun for you. So t- tell us a little bit about the mechanisms of the Oceania expansion and how that changes the game. Yeah, um, there's a couple of main differences. Uh, it replaces the player board. So whereas the older board had some pretty big gaps like, for instance, let's say you're on the draw a bird card row. So your first one, you just draw a bird card, right? Second one, you got to pay food to get a second bird card. And usually at that point in the game, you don't have extra food. And the same holds true for the other categories. So basically, columns two and four are kind of dead columns. Yeah. Like, maybe if you have an engine, you can take advantage of it. But most of the time, you're just... Oh, great. Now i got to spend four eggs just to cover up that spot and get to the next spot. So that was kind of uneven. Uh, the new board um, has a few sections like that, but it's a, it's a lot much smoother granularity. And it's more uh, focused on the end game. So beginning game, like first spot you get one, second spot you get two. And then after that, you can build up your bonuses so you can focus more on where your engine is going instead of just being forced to basically not, you know, you you spent two eggs and it doesn't help your engine building that much. So that's one of the nice things about it. Uh, The other thing is that there's a new food uh, source, uh, which is nectar. And one of the things about nectar is that it can be played as a wild food in most cases, which is nice. So it's a lot easier to get your birds out on the table because that's kind of frustrating when you've got a handful of birds and you've got a bunch of food, but you can't play it because it's the wrong food and it's just annoying. So the nectar is nice, but more importantly, every time you spend nectar on a row, that nectar gets stored at your row header. And at the end of the game, it becomes like another end game, uh, another end round bonus. So you're competing for the other, with the other players for it. Yeah, first and second place of each row that has the most nectar spent for that row gets a bonus. Okay. But the nectar, any nectar you have in your hand is discarded at the end of each round. So uh, you have to be a little careful with it too. So it's not like a standard food where you can just stockpile it and keep it for the whole game. There's a bunch of other little tweaks like that too, but um, it just mostly just smooths it out. It makes it a lot smoother. Yeah, that actually sounds really fun. I like the uh, kind of the resource management of the nectar. When I didn't realize some of those things that like you have to discard at the end of the round and that you get points for it because then you can kind of compete and say, well, I could build this card to help my engine here, but if I build it in this row, I'll be higher in nectar you know, spent for compared to the other people, so I might get some point bonus, and that gives you some extra strategic choices on where to build your car, your birds. I like that. It's cool. Yeah, so just kind of to cap it off, it just means that there's more areas to get bonus points in. Okay. So if you know if you if you can't really compete for if you can't really compete for the end of round bonus, you've still got several other sections that you can compete in the bonus for. Wow. Is that like? And one of those kind of expansions where it kind of tweaks the whole game and kind of changes the whole rules. Um, sort of like Feast for Odin, the Nor- I think Norwegian's expansion kind of changes the whole 
worker placement spot. Um, so does it, it seems to me like it, you know, with a whole replacement player board, it kind of tweaks the whole game a little bit, changes it up. Yeah. The rules are the same, but with the different player board, it changes the experience significantly. Um, and a lot of the birds in the oceanic expansion, um, aside from some other tweaks, uh, there's a lot more end game bonus point birds. So that gives you another way to potentially get end game points, um, that maybe other people can't plan as much for, you know, it's just another route. So a lot more flexibility. Now, one of the other things I've heard about the expansion is that it is supposed to also, I don't know, I, I don't know if this is the designer's intent, but I understand it does help solve some of the complaint that's happened that sometimes the eggs are the most valuable strategy, you know, building up eggs. So are the egg generation spots just a little bit lower? I, I don't remember if that's what happens there. Uh, it's not that the egg generation is weaker. It's that there are a lot more ways to get points. Traditionally, wingspan, round four, the only point of round four is to capitalize on your egg engine that you built up the rest of the game, unless you have some other specialty engine. Mm-hmm. Round four is the egg engine generation turn. And so all you do is you take four actions generating eggs and maybe one action trying to complete something to get your round bonus. That is no longer the case with this because there's so many other avenues for bonuses, specifically the nectar, but also there's new round bonuses as well. There's just a lot more ways to get points besides just generating eggs. So it's more fun. And, you know, I'm actually looking at one of the, a picture of the board right now. I can't see the first space because it's covered, but it does look like there's actually less eggs in the farther right spaces too. Yeah, I think in the in the original game you could get four eggs just in the final column, you know, the final the final bird space column. Here you have to have all five spaces filled up before you can get four eggs. So it does look like it at least limits it maybe a little bit. Uh, I think it's also only one egg in the first space, but I can't tell that for sure. Do, do you remember? Is it just one egg or two? Still two eggs in the first space? I think it's still two in the first. It's just the second one okay. lets you do something else, like you can. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, it looks like uh, at least two, three, and four are all two egg spaces, which were they were a little bit more escalated in the original game. So, okay. Yeah. So maybe there is less egg generation as well, but they're just also not quite as valuable because there's other ways to get points. Okay, cool. Well, I, I think it, that's that's really neat. This is an expansion I did not pick up, but it, it does seem like it does a couple things. It adds another layer of player interaction, which is probably our big biggest complaint about Wingspan on you know when we talked about it on our podcast. Um, because you're competing now for the, the the nectar bonuses as well. But then that's the the other thing that it may fix a little bit is that the last round is not just all about running that, you know, running the eggs. Maybe there's some other good opportunities there. So that's that's cool. That sounds sounds like a lot of fun. All right, cool. Well thanks. Uh what about you, Tim? What are you looking for? What are you looking forward to? So I got a couple things. We're talking about a Stonemeyer game here, and actually I'm I'm pretty excited because there's some news this week. Now I'm gonna do a little time travel because when this episode drops this will be uh, Monday, uh, February 8th, but we're recording it on February 1st. And on Wednesday, February 3rd, Stonemeyer Games is going to be announcing their next big release that's coming out this year. And this is a game that's designed by Jamie Stegmeyer. And, um, you know, he typically he releases a, a game that he's designed about once every two years. Um, oh, it's always a big event. Um, I personally have always had a lot of fun with Jamie Stegmeyer's designs, and so I'm pretty excited about what's coming out, what the announcement's going to be. So looking forward to hearing that on Wednesday. And obviously, again, when you listen to this, it, this will already be 
uh, you'll be aware of it. But one of the other exciting things that, that I'm looking forward to is that next Monday, the 8th, uh, we actually are scheduled to talk with Jamie Stegmeyer about his new game release. So he will have just made the announcement. I'll probably a little bit of information will be released by then. And, and you know, we'll get to chat with him a little bit and ask him some questions about it. So I'm really looking forward to that. And um, if you guys, uh, if, if you listeners are a fan of um, Stonemaier Games or, you know, just interested in, in some information, we're hoping to deep dive a little bit with him about the game. That episode will be released on Monday, February 15th. So you can get some more insight into that new release and and what it's all about. So yeah, really really excited about that. What what about you guys? Uh, do you uh, does that get you excited when you when you hear Stonemaier is releasing a new a new game? I'm a I'm a huge fan. Uh, I mean, every game I've played of his, I love. Tim and I have spent almost entire weekends <laughs> just playing some of his games over and over again. They yeah. take up probably a third of my game shelf collection. I mean, partially just because they're so large, but also uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I'm about 50-50 with Stonemaier games. I'm, they're such huge releases and they have mass appeal, so it's fun to see them catch fire amongst the board game community. But then I'm, I'm not always sold on his designs, so I'm hopeful that this thing will, will fit right up my alley. And if uh, some of the speculation about the theme are true then I think I'll have a very fun time with this game. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it just to see what it is. And to, it's piqued my curiosity for sure. So I'm looking forward to this release. Yeah, if, that's awesome. So I, the speculation that Adam's talking about is just like my guessing of what the, what this game is going to be about based on some past comments of Jamie Stegmeyer's. I don't know if you've heard anything else, Adam. Um, but I'm, I don't want to talk about it today because I just, I'm excited to see where it goes and we'll see. Uh, but Adam, you'll have to hold me to task there and, and call me out if I was completely wrong about my guesses about, about what this game is um, once we actually hear the news this week. Either way, the speculation has been fun enough that whether it's true or not, we'll, we'll yet to be seen. Yeah, I've right. had fun just thinking about that. So. All right, cool. All right, well, sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, this will wrap up our episode of Board Game Hot Takes. If you uh, you know have anything to say about trekking the world or anything else we talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on social media and uh, otherwise... Have a great week, everyone. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.